The sound of screams filled the air. The fumes of funnel cakes and fries waft from the food stalls. Kids are lining up for a popular attraction in Jackson, New Jersey's Six Flags Great Adventure. But a lit lighter turned the day of fun into one of tragedy. I'm Michael, and welcome to Channel of Catastrophe. Just a heads up, Channel of Catastrophe is for mature adults, not little Timmy with his iPad. My topic is disasters, and that means descriptive language at times. I also curse quite a bit. And even though I'm not mature myself, I'm more mature than a kid with an iPad. You have been warned. Six Flags Great Adventure is a pretty shit amusement park. I say this from experience. It is a corporate park with a lot of GP rides such as King the Car, no, it is not a coaster credit, despite what other enthusiasts may tell you. And Bizarro, a forceless, cookie-cutter, floorless coaster. And not much for enthusiasts such as myself. Even back in 2011, when I went there, there was only two notable enthusiast rides. Rolling Thunder and Runaway Mine Train, as was one. Green Lantern, a rare, a rare stand-up coaster under construction. However, on May 11th, 1984, it was a very different place. Their coaster lineup was an enthusiast wet dream. The newly opened Sarah Havo bobsleds, a rare bobsled coaster built by Intamin, Lightning loops, two dueling arrow-launched loops with the loops being interlocked, and rolling thunder, an airtime-filled Don Rossier and William Cobb wooden racing coaster, which I actually had the fortune to go on before some idiot bigwig decided to knock it down and replace it with a GP ride. As well as Runaway Mine Train, which I mentioned earlier, an Arrow Mine Train. The park had a great flat ride lineup as well, including, but not limited to, a Schwarzkopf Monster a Mack Rides Hully Gully, a Rotor, which are sadly getting quite rare, a Schwarzkopf Bairn Curve, two Log Flumes for some reason, what, what I don't know, a Schwarzkopf Enterprise, 
rest in peace to Anton Schwarzkopf, by the way, one of the best amusement ride engineers of all time, up there with uh, John A. Miller, um, the guy that Philadelphia Toboggan Company, and of course, we can't forget Harry G. Traver, whose coasters were so intense, none of them survived today. Also present were a first-generation Intamin Freefall, another ride which is sadly quite rare now with most of them in Japan, an antique 1881 carousel, uh, which at that time was powered by another antique steam engine, but today it runs on on electricity. As well as the focus of today's episode, the Haunted Castle. And now for an app endorsement. Please note, I wasn't paid to endorse this. I am doing this because I love the app and want to get the word out. A bunch of this information wouldn't be possible without LogRide. LogRide is a community-based app that lets you log your flat ride, water ride, and roller coaster credits all in one handy place. The best part is, is, if a park isn't on there, you can add it yourself. It will appear after a review. The app is completely free and made by amusement park enthusiasts for amusement park enthusiasts. Although there is a wait to get your account confirmed since it is manually done. So, if you are like me and travel all over for coasters, you can download the app from the Google Play Store and the iOS App Store. On to the episode. This wasn't the first fire in a haunted house. On October 27th, 1973, in Dumfries, Virginia, located in Prince Edward County, which is up near D.C., I do believe, three PTA members were putting the finishing touches on a haunted house that they had constructed in a classroom at the Washington Reed Elementary School. Now, being built by untrained PTA members, this thing was a fire trap. It's, and I'm using air quotes so you probably can't see this, it's construction consisted of painted of a painted eight foot high fabric panels hung on the wall by wood to make a maze. The paint, well, it was highly flammable. Paper mache provided decorations, while the windows were covered with brown craft paper to drown out light. This still shouldn't have caused a problem. Had that been all that was in the haunted house, but since this is a channel of catastrophe, you know that was damn well not what was all in that haunted house. Because the PTA had no clue what the hell they were doing when building it, they had also haphazardly wired in black lights and a sound system. Bear in mind, this was made for elementary school students. I don't bloody remember elementary school. Do you? 
for British listeners, elementary school is the exact same thing as primary school. Anyways, mini rant aside, 20 minutes before it was set to open for 200 kiddos, the electronics were switched on, and predictably, a fire started immediately. These were adults, but panic instantly broke out. Two parents attempted unsuccessfully to rip down the flaming construction, while three buggered off to go find fire extinguishers. And the sole guy who was actually sinking straight pulled the fire alarm. Shockingly, however, the fire alarms were only school-wide and not linked to the fire department for some dumb reason. Probably to prevent Little Hand from pulling the fire extinguisher as a prank. As a result, he had to break into the principal's office to call the fire department. And by the time they arrived, one parent had received fatal burns over 85% of his body, and two more were seriously injured. As a result of this disaster, new fire codes were put in place for attractions of this type. But a decade later, in New Jersey, several states away on the same coast, these would do fuck all. Now, before we continue, I am going to pause the episode right here, right now, because... Major trigger warning ahead. This does involve a fire, but it also involves kids and a human stampede. So this one is probably one of the more horrifying ones I've done next to the Donia Pass, which was my first episode. So... Now that the trigger warning's done, let's continue. On May 11th, 1984, there was a party. This party celebrated the financial success of Six Flags Great Adventure. However, things, things seemed strange for the attendees. Where were the big shots? The party seems dead. Suddenly, word came over the radio of a fatal fire at the haunted castle. This predictably killed any partying mood. The time was sometime after 6 p.m. The haunted castle was built in 1978 by Tom Mahana of Tom's River Haunted House Company and was operated under a single season lease. However, the Haunted Castle proved to be so popular that it was pretty much leased permanently. A sister attraction to the Gateway to Hell in Seaside Park's Casino Pier, which, by the way, was one of the two piers that was devastated by Hurricane Sandy. The Haunted Castle consisted of 16 retired highway 
trailers with holes cut in the side of each of them. These would be interlinked by plywood and wood panels to form a linear path. Now, to hide the fact that it was basically a bunch of uh, highway trailers in a major amusement park, it was covered with uh, a wood facade and a wooden frame, as well as foam on the facade as well. If I have to say facade one more time, I'll pull my hair out. This totally not flammable exterior was accompanied by an interior comprised of the same materials, plus paper and fabric. Oh, and there were only two emergency exits, one of which was allegedly changed shut by park management to prevent people from getting in without paying. And the other, only employees at a specific scare point knew of. And, further, this scare point hadn't been operational for months. On top of this, the haunted castle was also improperly inspected by the fire department and had no sprinklers. But it's cool. It's not like it can catch on fire, can it? Now, on top of this, this uh, attraction had a reputation for attracting some of the some of the more uh, rebellious teenagers of of the area, and as a result, these lax safety issues had been exposed one week prior, when there had been an incident where some utter genius decided it would be a Brilliant idea to set off a smoke bomb inside. Predictably, the smoke went everywhere in the combined in the combined spaces of the trailers, and people found it crazy hard to get out. Remarkably, despite all this, there was some attempt at fire safety. There were illuminated emergency lights and exit signs in case of a power failure and two fire extinguishers. Although these fire extinguishers were in the trailer that housed the electronics, making them useless anyways. Remember how I said the attraction attracted a lot of the worst behaved teens in the area? Well, as with a lot of haunted attra- as with a lot of haunted attractions, guests assaulting the employees working the attraction was common. So common, in fact, that no one wanted to work there. This had an effect on attraction staffing, predictably, including the one near the important exit. Still, this alone should not have been an issue. The attraction, considered a backburner attraction by the park, and one which had operated for nearly half a decade at that point, was due to be replaced with a more permanent, more fireproof fixture the very next year. However, on that day, a 14-year-old dumbass 
in a quiet riot t-shirt, decided it was too dark inside. So, what did he do? He lit a lighter near a foam crash mat that was installed after guests got injured several times. Predictably, the moron started a fire, and after failing to put it out, some sources say he shouted out fire, but other sources make it, but other sources point to it being more likely that he basically booked it the hell out of there without telling anyone. The time, the time was 6.30 p.m. And at this time, there were roughly 30 people in the attraction. Among these were a group of nine teenagers trying to scare fellow park patrons. Despite the attraction taking roughly five to six minutes to complete, these teens had been, had been inside for around ten minutes. By 6.35, only five minutes after ignition, the fire on the foam had turned into a full-blown inferno, fueled by the flammable interior and easy oxygen by retrofitted air vents, flashover occurred only three minutes after the fire started. Even still, some people thought it was just all part of the show, with some park patrons even remarking on how real the illusion seemed. In a forgotten act of heroism, an unknown employee of Great Adventure had smelled smoke. There were no working smoke alarms, as they had all been predictably vandalized like a lot of things in the attraction. And he ran into the fire to evacuate the place, all while in total darkness, because surprise, surprise. The bloody emergency lights and illuminated exit signs failed to work. It took an hour and ten minutes to get the fire under control. This was mainly due to incompetence. Initially, the park's fire department was, in, was called to the scene. But, predictably... Their equipment was not right for a fire which had all, which had flashed over three minutes after igniting. And they had to wait for two volunteer Jackson Fire Departments to arrive. And they only arrived at 7 a.m. And even after that, they had to find a way to get their equipment in the, to the park itself. By then, however, everyone who could get out had, and, as one guest put it, in 20 minutes the building looked burned down. There was nothing there. Initially, it was thought that there were no fatalities, but once firefighters entered the charred ruins, 
they found what they initially thought were eight mannequins. However, it soon became clear that these were the bodies of eight teenagers who, minute, who had minutes earlier been scaring guests for kicks. Seven of them had died pressed against an air vent in front of a chained, chained storage closet, having mistaken it for an exit. Fourteen of the nine had tried to escape rather than staying put. But these people were swept up by the, by the other five, with one dying due to smoke inhalation a few feet away from the other seven. And the other, 15-year-old Suzette Elliott, who was in the park with her best friend, Tina Genovese, being rendered unconscious near the entrance, leaving her the sole survivor of the group. In her words, from a 2004 documentary on the fire, I could see Phantom up ahead. Suddenly, me and the rest of the group saw a wall of smoke rocketing down the hall, chasing us. Me, Tina, and two others linked arms and crouched down low, made a break for the main entrance. Behind us, however, were four boys. They panicked and trampled us against an air vent. I was separated from Tina and didn't get entangled. The trampling was so violent, I am sure uh, the others were severely injured. I pulled a bandana I had gotten from Nicola Caleza, who was one of the victims, by the way, over my face, and crawled so hard and so fast that my hand was filled with splinters and all my fingernails broke. I was sure I was going to die in there. Suzette and Tina had won a trip to the park by collecting Campbell's soup cans. So what and what should have been a fun day for the two turned to a hospital stay for one and a funeral for another one family. Now, after the Six Flags, ugh, that's going to the blooper reel. Now, after the fire came the court proceedings. Six Flags and two park operators were charged with aggravated manslaughter. Despite Suzette's, as well as Joey Araka, who saw the fire start, well, despite their testimonies, the court acquitted everyone after eight weeks of deliberation. Interestingly, this case pitted the National Fire Protection Agency against itself due to testimony from two corrupt NFPA chairmen who had testified for the defense. And their testimony was that was basically some bullshit saying that sprinklers and smoke alarms wouldn't have saved anyone. And the prosecution 
also had an NFPA member, and they testified, and they were testifying that had these systems been in place, the fire would have been detected earlier and perhaps controlled. The two corrupt NFPA members, Chet Shermer and Rolf Jensen, would be called on to resign from their chairs, which, of course, they didn't. Because, as we all know, corruption never gets punished. In the wake of the catastrophe, fire codes for amusement buildings were changed. Structures such as the haunted castle nowadays, they have to have a properly maintained automatic sprinkler system. If the structure is portable, like the haunted castle was supposed to be, it must also have water supplied by approved temporary means. This has been Michael, and you have been listening to Channel of Catastrophes. You can find me on Twitter at of underscore catastrophe and on Instagram at channel underscore of underscore catastrophe. Be sure to leave us a rating on Podchaser. Well, me. And most importantly, Watch for disasters. The park had a great flat ride lineup as well. Included, but not limited to, a Schwarzkopf monster. uh, Hang on, I gotta respond to this in a sec. In Dumfries, Virginia. Oh boy. My fucking hearing things. They're a train. No, that's my air conditioner. Uh, blooper. 20 minutes before it was set to open for 2,000. Man, I'm fucking up everything. Bear in mind, this was made for elementary school amusements. This totally not flammable exterior was accompanied by an interior comprised of the same material. Ugh.